following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. All right, so good afternoon, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, my name is Lester Cruzat, and um, I've been coming here, me and my family have been coming here about a year now. And prior to that, uh, I was a pastor of a church um, back in Chicago in 2018. And uh, prior to that, uh, I was a pastor of a church uh, for three years in St. Louis and a college minister for five years in St. Louis. Um, some of you may be wondering, uh, where's Dr. Steve? So um, he's sick. Okay, he's sick. So he's got the flu. So please, please, please pray for him. Um, as he's out, uh, we called a quick audible, and we're taking a pause from his idolatry series uh, to, um, to, this, to this sermon, which I asked my uh, small group to really pray for. And so it's not good. It's their fault. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um, so uh, we'll be looking into just a very familiar passage, uh, Jesus' uh, interaction with the tax collector uh, Zacchaeus. So um, please uh, follow along as I read Luke 19, 1 to 10. Uh, again, Luke 19, 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today... Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, please pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your word and we pray, Lord, as your word comes uh, before us, that you would help the mouths of our hearts be open to the sustenance you are, that you're about to give. And, and I pray, Lord, that we would receive well. Father, as we come into this new year, uh, there's so many wishes and, and, and um, commitments that some of us are making, Lord. And we want to be the best year ever. But, Lord, we, we pray that above all those things that you would really teach us this year to trust, to, as we heard last weekend, to fix our eyes on you. So we pray, Lord, that as a result of 
today in our gathering that as your presence, as you're with us, that we would truly fix our eyes on your son, the reason, the greatest reason of our salvation, the greatest reason to be in a state of thanks. And so it would help us, Lord, during this time as we gather here, as we observe and worship you together. We love you. Thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, it, was, uh, it was nearly uh, midnight on Friday, September 7, 1860, uh, before the Lady Elgin made its way into the waters of Lake Michigan on its overnight return trip from Chicago to Milwaukee. A passenger list of around 400 were on board. Uh, the evening's activities had ended with dinner, dancing, and a speech by a Democratic presidential candidate, Stephen uh, A. Douglas. And though the, whirl, the wind and spitting rain threatened ominous weather, causing the captain to ponder delaying the voyage till morning, the decision was finally decided to leave the port. Spirits remained high among the partygoers into the night. It was sometime between 2 and uh, 2.30 a.m. in the morning, while the band was still playing, that a tremendous jarring shook the entire vessel, shattering the oil lamps and sending passengers into a darkened, rolling panic. The Augusta, a 130-foot schooner loaded with lumber and moving recklessly at full sail in the high wind, had struck Lady Elgin's left rear. It said... It should have been a somewhat glancing blow, the much smaller Augusta getting the worst of the accident. Uh, in fact, the crew of the steamer waved Augusta on, thinking you know, all was well. Uh, within half an hour, the boilers and engine of the Lady Elgin actually had broken through the weakened bottom of the steamer, further rupturing the hull. The, the great ship was shivering off in pieces. Lady Elgin was sinking. For six hours, survivors floated on lifeboats and other bits of wreckage while lightning crackled across the sky, illuminating the horror. The northerly winds and furious surf drove the larger part of them backward toward a high bluff near Evanston, Illinois. Local residents and farmers waking up to the sight of wailing men and women scattered across the water uh, ran for help trying to organize a rescue party. Among those recruited was Edward Spencer. Edward Spencer, a seminary student from nearby Northwestern University who had grown up along the Mississippi River and knew how to handle himself in the water. Trying, uh, tying a long rope around his waist and diving into the choppy waters of western Lake Michigan, he pulled victim after victim to shore, struggling uh, hard against the ferocious undertow that was claiming the last strength of many along the cliff walls, so close to safety. While lunging and heaving with one person after another under his strong arm, the sharp edges of floating debris grazed his head and body. Again and again, he returned to shore with another survivor, along with a bloodied face and aching muscles. But gathering strength and, and breath around a campfire, he would spot another person, thrashing weakly in the surf. Tossing off the blanket that was conserving his body temperature, he hazarded out into the deeps again, muscle, muscles tensing and cramping as he strained against the current 
Eventually, the 30 victims who survived along the water's edge in Evanston that day, 17 of them would owe their lives to Edward. But although his bravery would be the beginning of a new life for many, it actually became the end of a dream for this young seminarian. Edward was never quite able to recover from the physical toll of, what, of that faithful day. He was forced to abandon his schooling, his livelihood, and his dreams of becoming a pastor and scholar. Some remember him being nearly paralyzed the rest of his life, often confined to a wheelchair. And though his valor would at times be recalled in newspaper accounts and other general tributes, when asked by a reporter what he most recalled about the rescue, he replied, only this. Of the 17 people I saved, not one of them ever thanked me. Not one of them ever thanked me. Uh, This extreme story speaks of what can be an unassuming and subtle tendency of our own fallen hearts that that all humans are inclined towards ingratitude or at best, Uh, maybe a cheap form of gratitude. There's both an abundance of ingratitude as well as a shallow version of gratitude that resides in in all of our hearts, overtaking our lives more than we would like. It isn't very often you can be grateful and ungrateful at the same time, maybe in spots, maybe in seasons, but throughout the balance of your life, one or the other will dominate the way you view and respond to mostly everything. This is something we know we all can struggle with. I, you know, I don't think there's any of us amongst us that can say that we're thankful all the time. And, uh, and if you were, and even if you were, would you categorize, would you categorize it, it as having uh, consistent encounters with episodes of deep, deep, deep thanksgiving? Okay. Is it possible to encounter on a consistent basis episodes of deep thanksgiving? Um, so when I, when I say deep thanksgiving, when I think of the practice of deep thanksgiving, I'm not talking about a generalized attitude a form of, or a form of thanks where it's just a mere feeling or just about, um, you know, if things are going your way, you know. For instance, oh, man, I'm so thankful that the police officer just gave me a, a warning instead of a speeding ticket. Oh, so thankful, right? Uh, whew, so thankful. The MRI shows it's not a rotator cuff injury. It's actually just an inflamed joint. I don't need surgery. I'm so thankful. Yo, so thankful. Check out how close this parking spot is. Oh, rock star parking. Right? And then, yes, waited so long for this. Finally in my hands, Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich. So thankful, right? This is the kind of me first thankfulness where Thanksgiving only kicks in when things are going well. Or, and when positive blessings are flowing in one direction, you. Right? It's like an automatic reflex, a knee-jerk reaction. It's kind of like saying, excuse me, after someone accidentally bumps into you. Right? Or you too, after someone says, have a nice day. Or if you haven't seen someone in a while, you've been away for vacation for a while, and someone goes, how was it? And you go, good. Good. It was good. Right? 
me first thankfulness. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm not talking about the generic garden variety gratitude of uh, whose scope is generally confined uh, of, to terms and conditions. Obligations and duty which are usually centered on what suits us or makes us happy. Right? That, which starts and stops with us and is merely a fleeting thought. Okay? This, this type of gratitude is cheap. It's, it's shallow. What, what, what would make our gratitude more than just um, duty, right? To be uh, a duty to be fulfilled, or or an empty, appropriate manner in order to appease a debt, right? Uh, how can we pursue a constant stream of genuine, true, and deep thankfulness? How do you get there? Right? How do we get to a place where gratitude is not just what we know or feel, but what we live? As we move into 2020, how can we live out from our own hearts a lifestyle? Of thankfulness. How can we experience not only a generally focused on me and my circumstances gratefulness, but deep gratefulness that leads to transformation of our hearts as well as the hearts of others, leading to a transformed world? Uh, am I sounding a little too optimistic? I don't know. We'll, we'll, let's see, right? We'll, we'll be looking into Jesus' encounter with the infamous tax collector Zacchaeus and see what did it for him. What did, what did it for good old Zach? By looking at uh, two realities of life in this account. So we're just going to be looking at two things. We're looking, we'll look at an, econ- an economy of cheap gratitude, and we'll look at an economy of deep gratitude. So first, an economy of cheap gratitude. All right, so here we go. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Right? Uh, I, I don't know. Well, I've got to read it. And he climbed. And... And he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Okay. You guys, if, you, if you've taught Sunday school, grew up in the church, I'm sure you've at least heard that song, right? Um, but if, if this song emphasizes anything, uh, and when I first heard it, it really emphasized his, um, his wee-ness, you know? <laughs> his wee, his wee stature. He's a wee little man, right? Uh, uh, a rather short fellow. But, but in actuality... This tax collector was not very wee right, in terms of status. Okay. He, he ent- uh, verses 1 to 2, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Rich, right? These events occurred during a time that Jesus approaches, when he's approaching the end of his lengthy journey to Jerusalem, is there that we introduced to a man named Zacchaeus, being a tax collector. You know what that meant? That meant that you were a collaborator, a partner with the Roman authorities, and, and you were hated by your own people. Okay? You see, when, when Romans conquered lands, they would auction these lands off to local inhabitants. And it was the occupation of the tax collector that would be the agents of this um, patronage system. It, it was a lucrative job. The Roman government would ensure peace and prosperity as it flowed down by the emperor. And through the tax collectors, the money flowed up to the conquered provinces to pay for the empire's army uh, and enrich the upper-class citizens of the imperial city. Tax collectors guaranteed that the empire worked and enriched those at the top of the food chain. From this system, you can actually buy your way, moving up the status ladder by taking up this occupation. 
You become a necessity to Rome, but despised by your fellow Jews. How so? Well, the money that was to be brought to Rome, the tax collector was allowed to take a share of what was gathered and thus make a profit, you know, his share. Usually an unfair share amount. He was, in a sense, stuck between two groups of people, okay? Two groups of people. One side, there were ones beneath him that were paying ridiculous amounts of tribute to the Roman Empire. And those, then the other side was those above him, right? Those above him who were worried you were taking more than your fair share of what was being collected. So this tax collector was despised on one side and distrusted on the other. Zach climbed this ladder. He wasn't just any tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. Zach was not a wee little man after all. He was a big man. He was an important man. He had status. He was the chief tax collector of Jericho. He didn't collect taxes. He had minions doing that for him. This was the world, the economy that Zach lived in. He lived in the Roman world that made gratitude to be this political structure of benefactors, Benefits and beneficiaries. A politic that plays a game of you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Right? A, a reciprocal arrangement of corrupted gratitude, which where those on the top are enriched and control the benefits that is to be given to everyone else. Where the powerful turn their citizens into servants and slaves that demanded their gratitude and loyalty in return for goods and protection. For the Romans, gratitude was simply a game of quid pro quo. You do for me as I do for you. It is here that lays a spirit of indebtedness and obligation, a patronage, a privilege of, uh, and power. And it is, it, is this, it is these environments, these economies of life where the purity of gratitude is actually muddied. We, we operate in this economy all the time in our daily lives. Listen, Ken... Can genuine gratitude be found when your 10-year-old self is told by your mother to write thank you cards for the gifts you received for your birthday because, you know what, it's the right thing to do? Or does a growing child really feel gratefulness when told, now what do you say to Nikki's mom that gave you that ice cream? Right? Say thank you. Can gratitude be found in a marriage where each spouse feels like they are owed something due to their self-perceived work in the marriage, right? Well, I, well, I do the dishes, right? So you should at least be taking out the garbage, okay? You got the house you've always wanted, so, so I get the car. I get the car I've always wanted. So come on, give and take, right? We saw your parents three times last year, so we at least have to go see my parents three times next year, right? You do for me as I do for you. And the thank you is what you feel that you're owed when you fulfill your obligation. You see that? It is here that gratitude is cheapened. It becomes an obligation. The thank you actually becomes the currency that is to be given to someone that you feel indebted to. Or the thank you becomes something that is to be owed to the benefactor. We all live in a world where it's easy to be entrapped in our own mini Roman empires, right? Economies, stifling true thankfulness from being experienced and expressed. This was the prison that Zacchaeus was in. A man who constantly pursued success, power, money, at the cost of his own people. 
A man who worked the system and worked hard, obligated to Rome and striving for what's, what was supposed to be, was, that was supposed to be coming to him, right, for his hard work. He adopted Rome's practices of redefining gratitude as a hierarchy of political and economic obligation, of debt and duty. And I owe and, and, and I owe you along with an I am owed reality. So what's causing your unthankful heart? What is it? Unrealistic and unmet expectations, right? Towards others, maybe towards God, you know, causing causing you to feel shortchanged, maybe disappointed all the time. Um, it could be, there, uh, say it, an entitlement, entitlements, right? Where everything that comes your way in life is beneath what you think you deserve. You know, it, maybe you're comparing yourself to others a lot, right? where where the grass is only greener on the other on the, on the only in the other person's side, or 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 a belief that you're a, you're a better or harder worker than everyone else. Okay? Maybe it's self centeredness. I don't know. Maybe it's pride. Okay? Any of these? Right? Then you're living in your own mini Roman government. <laughs> What systems are you caught up in? Economies that, that, that are getting lost, that you're getting lost in polluting true gratitude from arising within you. When was the last time you were deeply thankful? When was the, can you think of it? When was the last time you were deeply thankful? You know, if it's been a while, if it's been a while, your heart may have been living in an economy environment that, that tends to produce a cheap and shallow movement of thanksgiving or ingratitude within you. So, so what, in what reality then, in what reality can, can, can we be truly thankful, experience gratitude to the fullest and often? Is that even possible? Right. So where can we find an economy of deep and meaningful gratitude? So we'll look at it, right? An economy of deep gratitude. Okay. An economy of deep gratitude. Um, now, from a, from a Roman system of misappropriated and, and corrupted practice of gratitude, we find Jesus ushering in an alternative version, an alternative version of thanksgiving upon his encounter with Zacchaeus. So here, Luke 19, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. Jesus sees Zacchaeus, takes notice of him, and commands him to come down. But here's the weird thing. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house to eat and chill, right? Can you imagine that? Like someone you just met, you know, inviting themselves to your house. Maybe after service, someone just comes up to you. And, eh, hey, man, I'm coming over. Like, you know, what? Coming over? We're going to eat? I'm going to sleep and I'm going to crash in your couch? And you're just like, what? The creeper, right? right? What in the world is Jesus doing here, right? Almighty, sovereign Awkward Jesus. Listen, uh, Jesus was a good Jew, but he was part of a lower class. And those who were of lower status wouldn't even think of inviting themselves to their superior's home for a meal. Because the whole structure of the present-day society in Roman rule was based upon individuals doing favors for those above them to gain society, uh, to gain security. Uh, So what should have happened was this. This is what should have happened, actually. Zacchaeus should have invited Jesus to his home. 
That's what should have happened. Once Jesus accepted Zacchaeus' hospitality, then Jesus would owe Zach gratitude, right? He would owe him an obligation to pay back the favor that was extended to Jesus, right? But Jesus undermined the whole gratitude business, okay? He, he's flipping the whole Roman economy of gratefulness around by inviting himself to Zach's house. The offering of his presence to the one who didn't deserve it. This, this made Zach, who was of higher status, not a benefactor, not the, not the giver, right? But he actually became the beneficiary, the one who receives, the one who receives. And he receives a gift, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variation or shadow due to change. Zach was a receiver of a gift, and an amazing gift. What Jesus was offering was not just to chill or to hang out. No, no, no. Back during those times, to have dinner meant so much more. It meant so much more. It, it was an offering of friendship, intimacy, a gesture of establishing a brotherhood or sisterhood. Jesus was actually extending an invitation to Zach, saying, I want to be family. I want to be your family. Out of the entire mumbling and disapproving crowd, Jesus singles out Zach anyway, lying Zacchaeus, cheating Zacchaeus, you know, this, the money-hungry Zacchaeus, one of society's most despised, most undeserving of any good thing come, to come one's way, Zacchaeus. Jesus says, I want to be with you, even with all that baggage. I want to be with you. Zach was trapped in a world of success, pursuing, working, and owing those above him while appropriating wealth inappropriately and sinfully from those below him. He was lost in that system with no way out from a world filled with cheap and shallow thanksgiving, and Jesus gives an out. Listen, for times when we don't think there's a way out, Jesus makes a way out. Amen? He has done some great things in our lives. As a result of his encounter with Jesus and his culture of, uh, and, his, his, and his culture undoing invitation, Zach encounters true deep gratitude. Verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. What, what caused this euphoric, euphoric sense of gratitude within Zacchaeus? Right? Zacchaeus received it and embraced it. Received and embraced what? He received, as I mentioned a little bit, a gift. What exactly is a gift? Something that is not deserved and where one is not obligated to pay back, right? That's a gift. What's another four-letter word for that? Receiving something you don't deserve. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, grace, yeah, you win. Grace, right, grace, grace. Sorry, what? Oh, it is very much. Wow. <laughs> wow. Five letters, yeah. Um, I meant race. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Jesus, Jesus was showing him grace. Jesus was showing him grace. Undeserved favor um, of his own presence, crashing into Zacchaeus's life. Wait, don't you see? Like deep, deep gratitude always flows from grace. The deepest experience of gratitude comes from grace. Like water gushing out of a fire hydrant, gratitude gushes out from grace. 
Gifts don't obligate you. They, they, they just do what the very definition of gift does. Something given willingly to someone without payment. So where experience, where, where experience grace is, deep and true gratefulness is not far behind. So now with grace, let's rewind a little bit. Now with grace, genuine gratitude can be found by your 10-year-old self when your mother tells you to write thank you cards for the gifts you received for your birthday. Because you know why? Because those gifts were pretty awesome. A growing child can really feel gratefulness and, teach, and teaching them to say thank you actually helps them express that joy and excitement of receiving that ice cream cone for free. True gratitude can be found in a marriage not where each spouse feels like they're owed something due to their self-perceived work in the marriage, but gratitude can be found in a marriage full of the giving of gifts to one another. Gratitude can be found in a marriage that's full of grace for one another. And let, me, let me get on my soapbox on this marriage thing a little bit because you know why? Because I'm absolutely horrible in it. I'm terrible, okay? So listen, this is what marriage actually is supposed to be. A marriage without gifts is a, trans, uh, a marriage without gifts is a, uh, a transaction, a transactional marriage, right? You give me, so I give you. But rather, marriage is to be covenantal, not transactional. It's a covenant where there's oneness. It's um, it's 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 different from the world's point of view of where it's a it's a fifty fifty. It's got to be fair and square plan for marriage. It's not like that, right? It's marriage is really a hundred hundred plan in which both husband and wife commit themselves totally to each other, um, setting aside their own selfishness and experience, and experience true intimacy. Um, uh, in, in the 100-100 plan, there is no talk about meeting each other halfway. No way. You're both willing to do anything it takes to make the marriage work, laying down your own rights and saying, I'm all in for the benefit of the other. Right? Your responsibility as a husband and a wife is to do the best for the other and this has nothing to do with how our partner reciprocates, or your partner reciprocates, or what we may feel they owe us. And that's marriage. That's marriage. So please, um, don't tell my wife I just preached that. <laughs> She's here. Right there. I'm sorry. Um, where we, where we, again, where, where experienced grace is, gratefulness is not far behind. Okay? Now, the question is, more than, just, more than just when was the last time you were grateful, then the question needs to be asked, when was the last time you received God's grace? Right? When was the last time you received God's grace? Where is that grace that you've been given in your life? Do you have a running car, roof over your head? Do you have a job? Do you have your health? A beautiful child or children, you know, not everyone gets one. Now, those, those, are, those are great gifts. Those are great, I mean, awesome gifts, but let's bring it up a notch. What about the gospel of grace that you received freely? What about that, the gospel of grace? What about the gospel of grace that you've received freely, that Jesus, just as he did with Zacchaeus, sought you out first, right? You might have thought that I was the one seeking him initially, and then and only then that he noticed me. But no, he searched you out even before you knew him. He spotted you first just as he spotted Zacchaeus first. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost ain't seeking him. He's doing the seeking. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What about the gospel of grace? That Jesus chose to be with you. 
invite you to be a part of his family, even though he knows all of your hidden mistakes, deep brokenness, flaws, and shame. Jesus doesn't say, if you clean up your life, then I'll come into your home and be your friend. No, he says, I choose to love you first. I choose to love you first. What else about the gospel of grace? (laughs) How about that grace that occurred when Jesus bore the disdain of the disapproving crowd for Zacchaeus upon inviting himself into Zacchaeus' home, into his life? Jesus loving Zacchaeus at the cost of his own reputation, loving him with a sacrificial love. How about that? But that was just a mere foreshadow of Jesus bearing more than just disdain for us, but on the cross, bearing the wrath of God at the cost of his own life. Loving us, loving us, was a sacrificial love. A foreshadow of Jesus bearing more than just disdain for us, but the wrath of God, the cost of his own life, loving us with a sacrificial love. If you understand and bask in, remember, and embrace God's economy for gratefulness, the economy of the gospel, then how can we not be grateful in all kinds of circumstances? Despite how we may feel, even despite the negative messages of our own past, in, in the highs and lows of life, we are constantly surrounded by the gospel of grace, which makes possible genuine thanksgiving every single day. In this economy, there's no governor or emperor obligating you to pay dues to him, but, but you have a father that has paid for everything, paid for everything owed. In this economy, you become the beneficiary of what? His benevolence as adopted children of God. The only debt we find in Scripture is that we have this continuing debt that we owe of loving one another. In this economy, there is no difference in status where we compare and compete with one another. Right? No, no we, we are all in the same boat, undeserving sinners, yet receivers of everything we would ever deeply want or need. We are not bonded together by contracts or obligations, but we are bonded by the spilled blood of Christ. We're not business partners or slaves to masters, but eternal family members with a common loving father. It is God's economy where the purest form of gratefulness may be encountered time and time again. So for 2020, can you look? to dwell in God's economy of grace and gratefulness more often. And this gratefulness, listen, this amazing gratefulness is not just a fleeting feeling, thought, or sentiment. You know what? It's with realize and encounter grace, you can live out thankfulness. You can live out thankfulness and not just feel it. How? Why? Because this kind of gratitude, it it changes us. Here's what I mean. Verse 8. Check it out. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Fourfold. Grace changes us. Grace changes you and me, and gratitude changes the rest of the world through us. Grace doesn't only bring an experience of gratitude but a physical expression of gratitude. Gladys Bronwyn Stern, a well-known uh, writer and novelist, she said this, gratitude is not the quiet game, 
It begs to be expressed both to God and to others. Gratitude begins with our hearts and thwarts you into behavior. It ushers you into a want and then an act in giving to others, whether it's through your words. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I can't believe you did that. You're, you're giving that to me? Right? To the giving of your services, to the giving of your finances. Right? The, the act of giving actually completes the sentiment of thanksgiving. It is the gifts that recreates this new economy where one freely receives, one freely gives. And we, we see a glimpse of that in the New Testament in Acts 2, 42 to 45, uh, an account of the New Testament, right? And, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Grace begets gratitude, gratitude, or begets or brings out joyful giving, right? What does joyful giving look like? Man, it's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Again, let's look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Listen, Jewish Old Testament law says that you're to tithe, right? Ten percent. You give a tenth of your belongings uh, as an offering to the Lord. Look, look, Zacchaeus is not... Looking to give 10%, but how much? 50% of his belongings. Right? Also, Jewish law states that if, you're cheated, if you cheated anybody, wronged anybody, extorted from anybody, you had to restore what you had taken with 20% interest. In some, you were giving 120% back. But here, Zacchaeus was looking to restore four times that. So what? That's about 400% that he looked to give back. Hold on. Let's pause a little bit. Think about it. Zacchaeus was not just giving up money or his belongings. He was giving up his power. He was giving up his rights and status, bankrupting himself, essentially resigning from his post as chief tax collector for what? For the benefit of others. For the benefit of others. Zacchaeus was, was truly that widow that put, that put two coins in the offering and was, and, and was seen and told about by Jesus to his disciples that she has given the most because she has given all that she had. Grace-filled gratitude makes that possible for you and me. Uh, think about it this way. When is it easiest for you to share food? When you're hungry? No. That's mine. That's my Popeye's chicken sandwich, right? No, no. The, the, the easiest time for you to share food is what? When you're, when you're full. When you're full, okay. you are at your best when you're thankful. Simple as that. When you give yourself away like Zacchaeus, giving your power for the benefit of others, when you are thankful, you give financially, joyfully, but you give not out of convenience, but you give to where you can feel it affect you. Let me, let me explain it this way. So I knew of a pastor that led his congregation to do an outreach for the neighborhood, Right? For their neighborhood. So they were to put on a church yard sale, a huge, a huge yard sale, okay? So what you typically see in a yard sale or garage sale is what? Are things you want to throw away, you know, things you don't need, things you don't mind being removed from your life. But the, the pastor asked his congregation, bring something that is of value to you, some object that belongs to you. When removed from your life, you, you feel it. You actually feel it. You, you feel the cost in giving it away. So they did. 
TVs, jewelry, heirlooms, the latest and greatest electronic gadgets. And through their sacrifice, they felt free and blessed as they gave and the neighborhood customers blown away and full of gratitude for the gifts. Now listen, quick question. What's that item for you, okay? That article of clothing, electronic, jewelry, that seems impossible for you to part with, right? What What would you know would hurt hurt you deep down if, if you were really to give it away. Now listen, why does it hurt? Why does it hurt? Maybe because it represents you. It has become something personal, something you earned, worked hard for. In other words, a part of you is in this thing. Right? Giving it away means you're giving a part of yourself away. Grace-induced gratitude, grace induced gratitude makes that possible, even joyful to give that thing away. What, what I'm saying, what I'm saying to, what I'm trying to say is that grace-filled gratitude brings out joyful giving, not just of your items, but like Zacchaeus, a giving of yourself, a giving of yourself. You see, grace-filled, genuine gratitude transforms you, gratitude changes you, and again, you are at your best when you're thankful. You're at your best when you're thankful. I, I'm a better parent. I'm a better parent when I see my children as gifts. And in turn, deeply thankful, giving me the capacity to give myself, give my utmost attention, enjoy them, empathize, and, and, and then move to comfort them when they are upset. Participate in costly parenting versus convenient parenting. Okay? When you're thankful, you can be at your best at your workplace. When, when you're thankful, you can study and work hard in school for going laziness. When you're thankful, you can write some pretty encouraging emails hitting the hearts of people that are to receive it. When you're thankful, you can easily obey what has been commanded to us, to love and God others. When you are thankful, you have the energy to live and give yourself to what you're called to do. When you're grateful, you are full. You're full. And you give to God and to others, what? From out of that fullness. And that's God's economy. That's God's economy of deep gratitude. As we close, I want to explore one more question. What was Zacchaeus' source of gratitude? What was the main source of Zacchaeus' gratitude? This is where Christian gratitude begins to rise above every other form of gratitude. Being humbly thankful to God for our salvation, the most undeserved transaction in our own personal history and the history of mankind. This is the starting point for the purest form of gratitude. God-word, Christ-centered gratitude, true gratitude, Christian gratitude doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's an object. That object is not any object. It's a person. That person is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus was Zacchaeus' source of gratitude. Jesus. Jesus is our source of gratitude. May your thanksgiving and praises not stop until it reaches the source of where it all belongs. Don't leave the ultimate thanks to things on this earthly realm, but may they transcend to the heavenly places. Thank you, Jesus, for my church family. Thank you, Father, for my spouse and children. Thank you, God, for this dinner. Thank you, Lord, for another morning to the one who overcame, to the name above all names. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, 
Thank you, Jesus, for you. Psalm 140.13 says this, Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. Surely the, the righteous shall give thanks to your name, the psalmist wrote. Why? Because first for Colossians 1.13-14, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oswald Chambers said this, The thing that awakens the deepest well of gratitude in a human being is that God has forgiven sin. He has delivered us from a cheap economy of gratitude, of debt, obligation, duty, self-promotion, and self-centeredness. He has saved us from ourselves and into an economy of deep gratitude, an economy called the kingdom of God, where Christ-centered gratitude, sourced from his grace, leads to life-changing, joyful, and sacrificial giving for the world to see our precious Jesus, who always works to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. As uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In Christ Jesus. Who saves our own hearts from cheap thankfulness. When was the last time you were thankful? When was the last time you received grace? Do you remember the gospel of grace that you received? Pray that 2020 would be marked with being saturated in this economy of grace, this economy of deep thankfulness that produces transformation within us and that results in the transformation of the world. Because you know what? We're not just giving out of convenience. We give ourselves, just like Jesus did. He gave himself so that we may be transformed. We can joyfully give ourselves because we've been given the grace, grace-filled gratitude that gives us the energy to be who we were meant to always be, his obedient, loving children. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Father, for not leaving me in cheap thankfulness. Thank you, Lord, for transferring me into a kingdom of deep thankfulness. Pray those things in your hearts. Jesus did it for Zacchaeus. Jesus is doing that for us. Praise the Lord for him. Thank you, God. Take a moment and pray, and I'll close this time in prayer, and we'll sing praises.